The Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio AM 640. Savan's number, anytime you should have this in your pocket at all times, 416-216-5910, and always help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to an amazing tool called the Injury Calculator in just a little bit. But as we always start every week, my friend, it's with a, a couple cases the week that was. That's right, John, and we do have a few cases to talk about. Uh, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to categorize them uh, on, under uh, topics because when people come to me with questions, they ask, you know, can I take a vacation? How is that going to impact my claim? Uh, what if I've tried to return back to work? Should I document mm-hmm. that somehow? You know, so let's let's do it that way. But before we start, let me tell you about an interesting situation that occurred to me just today. Uh, it's an ongoing claim that I have. In fact, uh, it's a lady that was injured in a car accident back in 2014, so two years ago, June. And the reason she came to me is because her husband uh, was listening uh, to the show, and uh, I met with them, and uh, you know, she has a fairly significant uh, uh, injury, and so we are dealing yep. with a claim. Now, um, they, they actually uh, contacted me, uh, I would say, about a year ago, so it's not like I've been with this case for two years. But get this. Uh, over the past year, we've been able to move the case forward very, very quickly through all of the uh, the major steps. And uh, I anticipate that within the next uh, few months, likely in January, that's when we have a mediation scheduled, uh, we're going to resolve her case. But here's what happened. We just got notice that another individual who was involved in the same accident uh, through their lawyers has just now started their own claim. And the reason that I'm bringing this up is because look at this situation. I, I talk about this all the time, about the need to move quickly on these things. Because, you know, for people who are injured, they're out of work, uh, they're not bringing money in, they need to be able to adjudicate their claims fairly quickly. And lawyers just tend to just sit on claims for some reason. So from what I understand, this lawyer for this other individual has been involved with this claim for two years now, but only now literally days before the expiration of the two-year limitation period, that lawyer has now started a claim. And, and you know, it's interesting because we're dealing with the exact same accident where I've been dealing with the claim for about a year or so. We're going to be very close to resolution very soon. And the other lawyer is literally just starting now, yes. right? I have no idea what he told his clients. I don't really care. But again, very important people to understand, if you are injured in a car accident, a slip and fall, you have an LTD claim, a disability claim, don't simply wait because every day that passes by is another day uh, that is going to prolong you getting the compensation that you are legally entitled to. So that's uh, the first thing that I, uh, I'm going to rant about, John. Right, no the second thing I'll For talk sure. about is that uh, the topic of vacations. So I had a lady by the name of Sandy call me this week because she was in a car accident last November. And she was worried because she's been off work since that time and she's been struggling with depression and, and what now seems to be chronic pain, according to her physicians. And to cheer her up and to help her mood, her husband, who I think is a saint, uh, has uh, bought her an all-inclusive vacation to the Caribbean. Nice. I like this guy already. Me too. Um, and and uh, her concern, of course, uh, listening to the show is, well, you know, if she's going to go on this vacation, how would that impact or affect her claim for compensation? Yeah. She wanted to know how he would, uh, it would, uh, and, and whether she should go or not. So here's the answer if you are facing that kind of a situation. It could potentially affect the claim because even though it doesn't take away from the fact that you are injured, I mean, you know if you're injured or not, mm-hmm. it can be construed by the insurance company if, it, if this in fact comes to light and they're aware of it, uh, not that I'm saying you hide anything away, but if this comes to light, it may be construed as though you are healthy enough to go on vacation. You're so therefore, advantage, right? you got it. So yeah. therefore, you're healthy enough to go to work and function day to day. 
Of course, that's a fallacy because it's very different to be on vacation or try to heal yourself or, I don't know, go and meditate, do yoga or whatnot, and go to work and deal with the stresses of everyday life that we all deal with. So again, you know, there is, there is a, a distinction here between reality and perception. But you have to understand that if you do go on vacation, that could be construed by the other side as though you are fine enough to go to work. So it could potentially undermine your claim. But you know what I always say, John, don't think about the legalities of the case. Think about your health. If you think this is going to help you, if it's actually going to be, I would say, even medicinal for you, right. it's going to potentially get you back on the horse because you're going to relax. It's going to be different scenery. Maybe it makes sense for you to go, you know, and then we'll deal with the legalities later. But understand that any photos or videos you take, any social media you output, Facebook, uh, Snapchat, whatever, that could potentially be producible down the road. The insurance company is going to be asking for those photos, and they do this now on a, on a, uh, a regular basis whenever I have claims. And it makes sense, right? I mean, if you're going on vacations and you're taking a ton of video and it shows you dancing on the beach. Uh, not good. Yeah, I mean, how, how are you going to say that you can't go to work? I mean, it's yeah. going to be difficult. Again, you may be unable to go to work. Maybe this was a one-time thing. But again, perception. Perception ultimately tr- uh, trumps uh, because you have to persuade the other side that you are, in fact, injured and are limited. So ultimately, you can't control how the insurance company perceives you but you can control certain things about uh, the, the vacation itself in terms of what photos you take, what videos you take. Be upfront if you are asked if you went on vacation, do not lie. Uh, you can explain it away. I've had people who have gone on vacation, clients of mine, where, uh, I don't know, they've, ha- they've gone to certain springs, hot springs, or, you know, in Israel, you have the Dead Sea that has certain minerals. You know, people right. have told me, I go there because it has healing properties. Now, I don't care if there's a scientific basis for it or if they just believe it. If it helps them, God bless them. Go ahead and try it. But understand that it may impact your claim. And you've often said, you know, one of the first things you do when you start a claim if someone's out of work is just as tempting as it is, stay off social media. Just do yourself a favor. It's better not to post anything. Yeah. Really? I mean, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I say that again, not, not to be deceiving to the insurance company. It's just that anything you put out there is, is out there for the world to see. And I know that there's various settings, security settings and privacy settings. Uh, and, and you think to yourself, well, this is private information. But, you know, nowadays everything is out there. Everything is on the Internet. And, uh, you know, again, it's perception. If the insurance company or their lawyers get a hold of you doing something that they, they are seeing as, as uh, incongruent mm-hmm. uh, or something doesn't make any sense based on the allegations you've made about your injuries, trust me, they're going to use that. If I was in their shoes and I was in the past, I would use that because their job is to save their clients money. 416-216-5910, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to more of the week that was. We'll get to the injury calculator and a bunch of your email as we continue the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM640. The number anytime, 416-216-5910. That'll get you a hold of Savannah directly, as uh, will the email, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll uh, finish off the week that was in this segment. Move on to some emails. What else you got for me this week? All right, so let's talk about uh, trying to go back to work, attempts to go back to work. So I had uh, um, a gentleman, his name is George. His wife was injured in a car accident about three months ago. Now, she works in a processing plant as a supervisor. Mm -hmm. So she walks around, doesn't actually do the work, but she walks around. You know, it's a physical job to an extent. She tried to go back to work after the accident twice, but each time she only lasted for about two, three hours. She felt nauseated. Uh, She's just unable to continue for a variety of reasons relating to the accident. Now, George's question to me was whether she needs to record these instances of trying to go back to work and whether it would work against her or for her. Um, with respect to her insurance claim for compensation. 
So here's the answer, again, for people out there who are trying to go back to work after an accident, because I know that there is a lot of um, misinformation out there, not only from doing web searches, but information that lawyers give out. Uh, I know a lot of lawyers, or at least I've heard of a lot of lawyers who say, uh, you know, don't bother going to work. It's just going to uh, make your claim smaller, that this is nonsense. Uh, It's not nonsense in the fact that if you go back to work, your claim is affected. That's true, but it actually works for you. And I'm going to explain why. The concept of mitigation, it's something we've talked about before, Lior talks about in the employment context, there is an obligation on anyone that is injured to try and mitigate their damages. For sure. What does that mean? It means lessen your damages. If you are injured, you have an obligation to try and get better. If that means going to a doctor, go to a doctor. If it means getting medication, get medication. Now, I know some people are against medication, some people don't like chiropractors. It doesn't matter. That's not the issue. The issue is... Are you trying to get better? Are you doing yep. anything? Are you taking action to get better? And if you are, that works that, that works for you because the other side can say, well, you haven't tried to get better, so therefore you're partly at fault for the state you're in two years later. Well, the same concept applies if uh, you try to go back to work. If you haven't been able to go back to work, but you've tried a few times, the fact that you've tried to go back to work, and by the way, I'm saying that, assuming that you, in fact, feel that you can go back to work and you've been cleared to try to go back to work by the doctors. I'm not saying you go against medical advice. If your doctor's saying stay at home, you stay at home, as far as I'm concerned. And if you feel that you can go to work, don't go to work. But if you think you could potentially, you know, do, you know, a couple hours a day, a couple hours a week, try and do that. It's going to help you because it's going to show the other side that you're not one of those people who just stays at home and is hoping to collect a big check at the end of the day without doing anything. No, you have to show that you are trying to get back on the horse. You're trying to mitigate your damages. Extremely powerful concept. And oftentimes, when I have clients that have done that, that I can't tell you how much that, that, that uh, um, solidifies their case mm-hmm. because it literally takes the MO from the other side. The other lawyer can't say, look, your client has just been off work for the last year and a half and they just haven't done anything. Yeah. Exactly, milking it. So really, really important. Now, if you do that, it's great that you've done that, but you want that documented. Either human resources at your work should be documenting that, meaning you got to make sure that it's in your file. You got to make sure that you're coordinating this with your family doctor, let's say, or specialist, so that they've recorded that you try to go back to work and here's what happened when you did. Why? Because at the end of the day, what you say and what the documents say have to correspond. There has to be, they have to be parallel. If you say something and it's not reflected in the medical documents or the medical documents say something and you say something different, that creates credibility issues because who do we believe, the documents or you? So the ideal situation is for you to have some kind of a record. And you can keep a diary as well. I mean, that, you know, is considered to be a contemporaneous record. It's going to be producible so you can keep a diary of how you're doing and, you know, your attempts to go back to work. Uh, perhaps you can have uh, you know some statements from colleagues who have seen you struggle as you've tried to go back to work. Whatever it is, just make sure that it's documented somehow. So very, very important. Uh, you know, the, the the last thing I would say is is this, uh, and people have asked me this before. You know, I had an accident to let's say they say a year and a half ago, uh, and you know, two days after the accident, I tried to go back to work, wasn't able to. And then I ask them, well, since that time and until today, when you come to see me, have you tried right. to go back again? And I listen to what they say, because if they say, look, I tried once, it was a year and a half ago, I haven't been able to, so I haven't tried again. 
my next question is, well, do you feel like it's time for you to try again? Yeah. Again, you know, let's let's play this out. Let's assume for a second that, John, you are a judge here. Uh, again, I'm not saying these cases go in front of a judge because most of them never do. They settle. But you want to make sure that the claim is prepped for settlement. You want to make sure that you've done everything. You know, you've crossed all the T's, dotted all mm-hmm. the I's to make sure that the insurance company has no excuse not to pay you. This is very, very important. A lot of plaintiff lawyers fail to understand that. And of course, I remember when I was doing defense work in the past, I would be dealing with so many cases where it was just so clear and obvious to me that the person has never tried to go back to work. And more to the point, yeah. And you know what, John, when I've had opportunities to actually ask the injured people questions, I would ask them, uh, you know, point blank. I said, why haven't you tried in the past year to go back to work? Well, my lawyer told me not to. Nice. Holy cow, man. Doctor that, lawyer. The value of that yeah. claim just dropped from God knows how much it was to a yeah. much lower amount. So you have to make sure that you try to mitigate your damages. Uh, and by the way, it's not just trying to go back to work. Perhaps you, you sustain such an injury that you can't, you know, you can't go back to the work you had before, unfortunately. Maybe you were a construction worker, you injured your knee in such a way you can't go back and you know that but you're 35 or 40 years old. Maybe you were always interested, I don't know, in real estate. Mm-hmm. Take some courses. Show that you are trying to advance somehow. Mitigate. Mitigate. Right. Exactly. That's the key. And if a lawyer is telling you not to do that in any form, any capacity, I'm sorry, I disagree with them completely. And I can tell you right now, the defense lawyers will disagree as well. And they will report back to the insurance company that you're not doing anything mm-hmm. to help yourself, which means that you've, the value of the claim that they are attributing uh, to, to your situation is going to go down. 416-216-5910, helpoftheinsurancelawyer.ca is the email. We'll pick up with one of those as soon as we come back and get into the injury calculator as well. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM640. Savan's number, anytime you want to reach him, it's simple, 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll continue here with one more uh, week that was case, and we'll get into the injury calculator. If you're not familiar with this tool, it's uh, it's pretty cool. We'll get that in a minute. So well, your third one, what do you got? All right, so the last case I have here is going to be quick. Uh, This is interesting. It has to do with somebody who was drunk uh, when they were injured in an accident, but they weren't driving. So so I have this lady, Laura, who emailed me that her friend, who's 20, was at a party a few weeks back. She and a few friends drove home after the party, but they had a designated driver, okay? No one was driving drunk, so that's fantastic. That's great. But they got into an accident, and it was the fault of the other vehicle that was involved in the accident. So it wasn't Laura and her friends that were at fault. But Laura's friend was injured pretty badly in this accident, and she was drunk at that time. So the question that Laura asked me is, well, my friend who was a passenger in the car, not even the car that was at fault, but she was drunk at the time and she was injured, would the fact that she's drunk affect her claim for compensation? What do you think, John? I would think, no, she's not the driver. She's not at fault. She's just sitting there. She's a passenger. Absolutely. You're completely right. The only exceptions that I can think of is uh, if she did something, uh, perhaps to distract the driver of her vehicle, right? I don't know. Maybe she was uh, so unruly because she was so drunk that she did something that perhaps contributed to the accident, and that's going to come out. Uh, So that could be uh, a a, a potential issue. And and the only other thing I can think of is, you know, if she was drunk, was she wearing her seatbelt? Now, luckily, she was wearing her seatbelt. But if she wasn't, and we talked about that before, drunk or not, you're going to get hit with a a huge amount of uh, a deduction. It's called contributory negligence. So if you're injured and you don't wear a seatbelt, you can be uh, deducted up to 25%, according to current case law, from your damages. So if you're entitled to $100,000 for your damages from the accident... 
you weren't wearing a seatbelt, you can have up to 25 grand knocked off. So those were the questions I was asking. And again, the good thing with Laura's friend is that, no, she wasn't doing anything. She was simply drunk and she was, uh, uh, you know, not not distracting anyone. And she was wearing her seatbelt. So in her case, yeah, she'd be entitled to compensation for her injuries. And she's not going to have any points taken off uh, because uh, she was intoxicated. Injurycalculator.ca. All right, that's a fantastic tool, online tool. We talked about that before. Uh, it's an anonymous tool. It takes you about 30 seconds to use. You go on it if uh, you've been injured or someone's been injured or if you're just curious, you know, how much is a knee injury worth or a brain injury or a spinal injury, uh, a torn shoulder. What you do is you go on that website. doesn't ask you for any identification. Uh, you just uh, tell the program, uh, you know, there's drop-down menu, uh, menus or click menus where you select the injury, you select the severity of the injury, where this happened, like what city, uh, when it happened. And what happens is at the end, the program just uh, provides you with a range of damages you could potentially be looking at. In other words, dollar amount that you could potentially recover if, uh, in fact, somebody was at fault for the accident and you decided to pursue a claim for compensation. Now, very important to understand here, uh, we talked about that before, this only deals with pain and suffering. This doesn't deal with what happens if you can't go back to work. That's an income loss claim. What happens if I need someone to help me with grass cutting or snow shoveling or around the house? Those are separate. Those are unique to every case. I'm only dealing here with how much are you entitled to for your specific injury if someone else was at fault. And another thing I want to mention, and we talked about that before as well, And I really want to hammer this home because some people I know are using this program quite frequently. I mean, I know that there's frequent use, not by the same people, but I I know that a lot of people are are using it. We don't know who, uh, because like I said, there's no contact info, but we know people are coming to the site and using it. If the program is telling you that you are entitled this money, I, I want to focus on the word entitled. You're not, it's not entitled as in, you know, in, 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 in a bad a way. 21-year-old says. Yeah, exactly. I'm entitled to this. No, no. You are owed this money. Okay. If at the end of the day, uh, because you issued a claim, because you started a claim for compensation, the insurance company cuts you a check, it's not because you are entitled to it. It's because you are owed this money. All right. You didn't go and just take, by law, you are owed this money. And think about it. Do you really think the insurance company would be cutting you this check unless you really were owed that money? They just wouldn't. I know I've worked for them in the past for insurance companies. So very important to understand that if you are injured, somebody you love is injured, uh, a friend is injured, you can go on this uh, online tool, uh, injurycalculator.ca, and literally it takes you 20 to 30 seconds. The program has a, a huge database of cases from across the country, similar injuries, similar accidents. That's the reason why you're putting in there. You know, you're selecting the injury, the severity, where it happened, how old are you, all that. It's an algorithm that analyzes the cases and then Based spits on out the range. Law. Exactly. Yeah. It tells you, here's what other judges in these situations awarded people for pain and suffering for these injuries. Again, just pain and suffering. Just it's pain not, and not suffering. the rest, which could be a lot more. Right? Yeah, it, that's, and that's such an important thing to remember. You can have somebody who has an ankle injury. You know, I mean, I, I have clients that have fractured their ankles, and let's say their pain and suffering is, I'm going to use the word in quotes, worth. Okay, They're owed, let's say, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 for that injury alone. But now they can't go to work and they're losing 10 grand a year. And they're 55 years old and they would have worked for another 10 years. And, and you know, just do the math. They're losing 10 grand a year for the next 10 years, 100 grand. Right. Just for that. And what about, you know, the treatments they need to have out of pockets and all that. So very important to understand there's a lot of other damages you could be claiming for. 
Injurycalculator.ca. Again, is that website. Check it out when you got some time, like now, would be good. In the meantime, the number to get a hold of Savan, 416 216 5910, and help at the insurancelawyer.ca. We will go right to one of your emails when we return after a short break on the Insurance and Injury Law Show. This is Talk Radio, AM 640. Savan's number anytime is 416-216-5910 and help at the insurancelawyer.ca. That is the email. Jeff from Minden. Love Minden. He uh, sends his email, says, my wife's been suffering from severe OCD for years, but it became really bad last year and she has to go off work. She's an accountant. She gets uh, $3,400 per month from her LTD, long-term disability insurer, but they are saying that she is not cooperating with them and that they are going to cut her off. The truth is that her behavior is erratic and her psychiatrist is very supportive. I uh, don't know what to do or how to deal with the adjuster. I would appreciate any suggestions you may have. Well, Jeff, first of all, thank you for your email. And I want to encourage people out there to email me their questions or call me. Um, I, I do answer these questions uh, at all hours. And, uh, you know, oftentimes we'll, uh, you know, we'll mention them on the air and, and, you know, I may change a name or so just so people can get ident- mm-hmm. be identified. But by all means, it makes the show interesting if you email me these kinds of questions. Uh, Jeff, in your wife's situation, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, uh, that, that's a debilitating condition. Um, my, my, uh, my, in my previous life, I, I studied psychology. That was my undergrad degree years ago, but I remember studying OCD. Look, uh, if she's not cooperating with them, I need to understand what that means. You're saying the psychiatrist is being supportive. I need to understand if, if by not cooperating, we're talking about her not communicating with them, not providing medical records, not providing medical reports. Ultimately, the insurance company has to be able to look at the claim, communicate with the individual that's on disability or someone on their behalf, uh, if, if that's al- allowed in that particular claim, depending on, on the severity of the disability. And, and you know, they have to get this information because don't forget, the insurance company is in a position where they get hundreds and thousands of claims all the time on a, on a weekly, monthly basis. They have departments that all they do is they have adjusters there adjudicating these claims. So I need to understand, uh, Jeff, exactly what, what we're talking about. What does non-cooperating means? Because oftentimes we interject when we are retained, when we are hired by someone who's on disability to deal with the insurance company, you, you no longer have this, this sense of, you know, I don't know what's happening. There's a power imbalance. I don't want to deal with the adjuster. Uh, sometimes they're nice to me. Sometimes they're not. I feel pressured. When we are in the picture, we are the ones who are the in-between. We are the ones that understand exactly what the insurance company is asking for. We communicate with you. We communicate with your doctors. We, we, we sort of take the, the level of intensity down, okay? And, and that's the goal, really, because what, we're, what are we trying to do? We're trying to avoid a cutoff in the situation, right, Jeff? I mean, if she's getting $3,400 a month. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. That probably pays for the mortgage, pays for a variety of things yeah. at home. So, you know, very, very important. The other thing I would do in this case, uh, Jeff, is I would probably communicate directly with a psychiatrist and get from the psychiatrist more details and information about this debilitating condition. And I would present that to the insurance company. Again, my goal would be to provide the insurance company with whatever they need to avoid a cutoff. If, if the insurance company is adamant about cutting her off, I would set the stage to start a claim immediately if they do. Because at that point, it's like putting, you know, and I've said that before, in a figurative way, putting a legal gun to their head. The insurance company cannot avoid a claim once they cut someone off unless you just let them off, unless you walk away, unless you do anything. So the worst thing, Jeff, that you and your wife can do, uh, which you're not doing because you're contacting me, 
is uh, to bury your head in the sand because the cutoff will come. Insurance companies cut off people all the time. The better thing to do is, first of all, you contacted me, but for us to get in touch after the show, let us deal with the insurance company on your wife's behalf, on your behalf. Let's deal with the psychiatrist. And you know what? I'm confident that based on, on what you're describing here in your email, we should be able to avoid this cutoff, meaning that the insurance company is going to continue paying that amount. Uh, and at the very least, if they don't, we're in a good position to start a claim and make sure that the, ca- the, 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 the claim is, is eventually settled uh, in, in the correct way. What kind of timeline are you looking at if they've been cut off or denied? How much time do they have to start a claim? Well, it, it, so that that uh, depends if they've tried to appeal. There's been arguments. You know how we talked about appeal. Some people end up not going to a, a lawyer like myself. They try to appeal it themselves, and they drag out the whole process. So they learn six months later, nine months later, a year later, that the whole appeal process is, is effectively a sham. <laughs> uh, not that it never works, but rarely works. Because you're appealing to the same people. Because you're Touch appealing to the same people, exactly. Uh, but, but in terms of timeline, look, as soon as you've been cut off, as far as I'm concerned, the clock starts ticking. you got two years. Right. But why would you even wait a day before contacting me? Why? Right? It's, it's like that case that we had a few shows ago with that lady who uh, uh, slipped and fell a few years back. Remember, we looked yep. into it and she contacted me because she heard the show and then we found out that she was several months past the limitation period. She's we done. couldn't do anything. Yeah. And she was still injured. So in a case like, especially disability, by the way, and you know, in disability, just like being injured seriously after a car accident, you can't work. Your family relies on this income. You have to move now. You have to move now. And if you go to a lawyer that simply sits on, on their butts, I was going to use a mm-hmm. worse word, but sits on, on their butts, does nothing, the only people who are going to suffer here are not the lawyer. They're going to get paid from other cases. It's going to be you and your family. So the timelines, as far as I'm concerned, are irrelevant. Two years from when you were cut off, there's an argument as to whether or not it's two years from you know the date of the uh, denial of the appeal, if there is one. But again, let's just be... Uh, conservative here, let's say two years from when you were cut off. So you're cut off today, John, two years from today. By why wait any minute longer than you have to? Do I need a lawyer to get involved? You, I should. I you say, should. No you, oh, you, yeah. no, you don't. You don't. I mean, listen, do you need a, do you need a doctor, you know, when you're sick? Uh, right. to go? To? No, listen, I mean, if you're comfortable in your diagnosis and you can deal with it, do you need, I don't know, take, take any situation here. I mean, you have a, uh, uh, a, a building code violation. Do you have to go to, uh, to, to a builder or to an architect mm-hmm. or someone to help you? You don't, you know, I mean, it's advisable because they know what they're doing. This is all they do. But do you have to? No, you don't have to do anything. Frankly, you don't have to do anything with this claim. You can just walk away and give the insurance company a nice big, you know, uh, check that bonus that that they can keep, right, for walking away. So you don't have to, but it's it's really, I mean, it's very bad. and, And the problem is, you know, the tragedy is oftentimes people only realize that when it's too late. And that's what really breaks your heart, uh, especially when you're dealing with very serious cases. It's, it's just unfortunate. 416-216-5910 is the number you want to use anytime. Get to an email. We'll get to one shortly. In fact, after the break, we'll do that. And it's help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Talk radio, AM 640. 416-216-5910 Savan's number and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Email, that's where it goes to. Well, it goes to Savan, but we'll get to one right now. Uh, Jen from Hamilton writes in, Jen says, my husband is 43 and used to work as a mechanic until three years ago when his knee gave out. He's on long-term disability. He's on heavy pain meds and can hardly walk for more than a few minutes without resting. But now the insurance company has recently said that they think he should be able to do something. So they've arranged for him to see a doctor. They've arranged for it. Uh, does he have to go to that assessment and should, uh, he be worried? Well, uh, Jen, there, there are two parts of that question. Number one is, does he have to go to that assessment? Um, 
And the second one, obviously, is should you be worried? So let's deal with the first one. Yes, he has to go to the assessment. And, uh, you know, insurance policies like this one, long-term disability, they are contracts. And under the contract, both parties have an obligation. Your husband has an obligation to cooperate with the insurance company um, to to the extent that the contract uh, um, says that he must. And the insurance company has an obligation to pay. And that's the reason why they were paying, seems like, for the last three or so years. One of the things that most of these policies uh, uh, say in them, if you were to read them, there's going to be a provision that states that the insurance company is entitled to have you assessed by their experts, doctors, uh, or other experts that they deem to be uh, relevant and appropriate. And, and when they when they ha- want to have you seen by someone like that, uh, yeah, you have to go. They can't abuse that right. They can't have you seen, you know, see the same type of expert uh, multiple times. They can't say, you know, we don't like the opinion of this one orthopedic surgeon about your knee, so we're going to send you to another one. In other words, they can't they can shop around because right. they don't like one opinion. That said, you're asking me, should you be worried? Well, if they've already intimated that he should be able to quote unquote do something. And now they're having him seen by someone that indicates to me that they are positioning themselves and the claim for a cutoff or at the very least to pressure you and him to accept the reality that they're going to cut you guys off. And there are a lot of people in that uh, same uh, uh, position and it's extremely stressful. You know, it's, it's, it's unfortunately a corrupt system and I'll use that word. I know it's a harsh word. Um, you know, in the past few weeks, there's been discussion about overhauls to the uh, workers' compensation and WSAB and all that, and about how, you know, it, workers' comp uses doctors that are paid. Well, you know, the problem is that anytime you're dealing with injuries and with insurance companies or the government, anytime the doctors are involved, uh, th- there is a potential for abuse. And what does that mean? It means that someone's going to have to pay these doctors to assess these disabled individuals. Well, who's going to be paying them? Well, in this case, if the insurance company is sending your husband, Jen, to this doctor, they're going to pick up the tab. Yep. So that means that there is a relationship between the insurance company and this doctor. Now, no, nobody's expecting this doctor to work for free. That said, you know, the question is, again, we're talking about perception here. What's the perception here? This doctor is objective or is that doctor going to do whatever that doctor needs to do in order to continue getting the work from this insurance company? And, you know, again, I'll admit that when I was working for insurance companies, there are certain doctors that we used to use. And, you know, a lot of times uh, judges would chastise uh, those doctors for, you know, being defense biased. And by the way, that works on the plaintiff side, too. That's actually a very good point, and I'm sorry to digress, but mm-hmm. a lot of times when you go to some plaintiff lawyers, they will use certain doctors that the defense side can't stand because those plaintiff doctors... They may be very good in what they do, but they only work for plaintiff lawyers. So whenever you're seeing a certain doctor, you want to make sure, to the extent possible, that the doctor is objective. So that, you know, figure out, do some research, Google, ask the insurance company, does this doctor work only for you or do they do you know, plaintiff assessments too? Right. So, you know, I mean, again, I'm, I'm sort of uh, uh, getting ahead of myself in terms of this email. But, uh, Jen, the, 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 the answer is that uh, he has to go to that assessment, assuming that assessment is appropriate, right? I mean, you're not going to send someone with a knee injury to a psychologist unless there are psychological right. issues that are at play. You're probably going to send them to an orthopedic surgeon, potentially. Should you be worried? Yes. Based on what you are describing, my sense is that they're sending you up to, to, to be cut off. So what I would tell you is contact me. Let's have a, a more in-depth chat. I can prepare you guys 
for the assessment, explain to me, uh, explain to you what's going to be expected uh, and, and how you should be acting. Of course, you have to be truthful, but there's certain things that you can do uh, to, to help yourself with this assessment. And uh, we can take it from there and hopefully you don't get cut off. But if you do, you'll know what your options are. 416-216-5910 is that number. We'll talk a little bit about slip and falls as we get down to our uh, last couple of minutes for this segment. If you slip and fall in a store and are injured, happens all the time. Should you speak with any employees at the store? So that's an interesting uh, question. And I say that because you're going to get different advice depending on who you uh, speak with. Um, some lawyers will tell you, no, don't speak with absolutely anyone. Some lawyers, like myself, will say there's nothing wrong with you reporting the injury. In fact, most stores uh, or plazas or malls, once you report an incident, a slip and fall, they, they have certain procedures and policies that are, yeah. that are in, in place, such as creating an incident report, which is a very important document. It's a contemporaneous record of the incident. I had a case one time, John, years ago when I was defending a store in a slip and fall case, and here was the problem. The plaintiff was alleging that she slipped and fall, fell on something, but she never reported the injury and the incident. And she didn't go to the doctor until two months later. Mm. So we had suddenly a gap in time in every respect, both from a, an incident report standpoint, as well as from a medical record standpoint, that could prove that this person was actually injured in our store. So I'm in favor of reporting the incident. I'm not in favor of the person who's injured signing any kind of statement in the store, uh, but I'm certainly in favor of reporting it. If you can take photographs or someone can take photographs for you of what exactly happened, what caused you to fall, by all means do it. Very, very important. Uh, and just make sure that uh, you report to the person that you speak with at the store exactly what happened. Make sure that you explain in detail what's hurting you, if anything, and if you're going to go to the hospital or not, leave your contact info. And if there are any witnesses, and if you're lucky enough to get their contact info, make sure you keep that because that's very, very important. Quickly, if, you, uh, if they want you to sign the incident report, what do you do? Yeah, you don't, don't sign it. the incident report. No, don't, don't do that. In fact, what I would say is don't sign it and, and in fact, get a copy of it if you can. Right. That's going to have to be disclosed down the road anyways okay. if you make a claim for compensation. But listen, don't sign anything without someone reviewing it first. That's the general rule of thumb. 416-216-5910 is that number you want to have you at all times. That's Savannah's direct number, and the email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll continue our slip and fall discussion. Maybe get to another email or two before we wrap for another week. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM640. 416-216-5910 is Savannah's direct number. It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. You go there or injurycalculator.ca, a very interesting tool and useful as well. When the show's not on, check that out and uh, – Get back to us, see what you think. Ask your questions. They're always available there. We're talking about slip and falls, pal. Um, when should you go see a doctor after a slip and fall? Uh, that's, uh, again, an interesting question. And I say that because, look, if, if you don't feel like you're injured, then don't go see a doctor. I mean, there's no point wasting your time and the doctor's time and, and frankly, our taxpayers' money with OHIP because they're going to pay for it. Uh, but if you feel that you've been injured, the sooner the better. And I say that for two reasons. Number one, um, I've had situations where someone did not go to the doctor until days, if not weeks later, and the injury was actually much more severe than they anticipated. They had torn something, and again, you know, it's like having somebody who gets uh, uh, who goes missing. The, the first 48 hours are, are the most critical, they say, right? right? So again, uh, oftentimes, if you get diagnosed quickly, perhaps surgery is required. You know, you want to make sure that you get the proper medical care. So from a medical standpoint, if you are injured, go as soon as possible, whether it's your family doctor, the hospital, walk-in, whatever. From a legal standpoint, 
the longer you wait to report an injury, the more it's going to be perceived, here's that word again, by the insurance companies down the road, like the injury wasn't serious. If you're one of those people who just doesn't complain, and you're one of those people who just doesn't go to the doctor, and you suffered a significant injury, but you waited for two months before seeing any medical practitioner, the other side may not necessarily question the fact that you have this injury, right? Let's say they can see on an x-ray that you have a chip in your, in your knee. To prove they it was a slip and Prove fall it was this it. slip and fall, exactly. Yeah. Maybe other stuff happened in those sure. two months. Yeah. So suddenly you have a, a proof issue, a causation issue. Can you prove that this slip and fall or this accident caused the injury that you are alleging? So you can have that situation happen where... No one's going to dispute the accident happened. No one's going to dispute that you have an injury, but can you link them? And that's really key here. And that oftentimes creates problems in a lot of cases because oftentimes people don't want to go to the doctor for whatever reason. You know, they don't want to wait for a few hours, whatever. So two reasons to go for your own medical health and because from a legal standpoint, it's going to bolster your case and no one's going to question that there is a link between the accident and the injury. If you slip and fall outside, say you're running, say it's January, which is crazy. Hashtag treadmill. Um, <laughs> who's at You're fault? not a runner, John, are you? No, not in January. Who's at, uh, who's at fault in that case? Uh, who's at fault? So we're, let's say we're, we're talking about uh, a slip and fall on ice. So you're running, you're a runner. Look, there's no law that says that you can't uh, slip, sorry, that, that you can't run in, in the middle of January or February. No. Um, and, and frankly, sometimes you have very mild temperatures. It can be above zero, you know? I mean, we've had that happen, but still have ice that's left over and you slipped and fell. Who's at fault for that? Well, again, we're going to look at whether or not whoever occupied the area, if it's a sidewalk, the city, uh, if it's a plaza or, you know, private property, uh, the owners, did they maintain the area? I mean, if it's not fenced and you can just walk through it, let's say, uh, I don't know, a a, um, school property in the back, uh, you know, did they take care to make sure that uh, the the area is is, uh, safe, you know, for people to walk there? If they did not, they're going to have liability, meaning they're going to have fault, meaning their insurance company is going to pay. The question then becomes, do you, as the person who slipped and fell, uh, own any of that? Are you at fault to some extent, to some degree? Look, I had a case once a few years back with a lady who rode her bike religiously. She doesn't drive. And uh, she, this was in Toronto, and she, she fell. She, the, the, the bike uh, uh, slipped on ice. And she suffered a very bad ankle fracture. She actually was hospitalized for, for a while after surgery and she was in a home and it was a fairly significant claim. And I was anticipating the defense lawyers to come back at me telling me, listen, your lady is nuts for riding her bike in the middle of winter in February mm-hmm. when it was so icy, the temperatures were just crazy, you know, below zero. And I anticipated that, and so I prepared my all my arguments and everything. And, and guess what, John? They never once raised that as an issue. Really? They, no, they just focused on the injury. She obviously was hospitalized, so there was no issue about you know linking the injury to the accident. But you know that just shows you that uh, you know you may have a defense lawyer, or insurance company saying, "What are you nuts? You're running in in the middle of winter. It's your fault that you slipped and fell." No, no it's not that simple. You may have a potential attribution of fault meaning you may be found to be, I don't know, 15%, 25% contributory negligent because, you know, at the end of the day, you are taking a risk by uh, running outside when it could be icy, uh, icy uh, conditions. Uh, but on the other hand, there is an obligation on whoever owns, uh, occupies, and maintains the area to make sure that that place, that area is safe 
for people who could be running or walking on it. Got a couple minutes left, so we'll get through a couple things. First, I want to go back and uh, reiterate Injury Calculator for us. Injury Calculator, uh, it's a fantastic online tool. It's anonymous, been used uh, by by thousands of people uh, from what we can see, uh, and it allows you to calculate literally within seconds how much money you could potentially be entitled to for compensation for your pain and suffering as a result of an accident that someone else caused whether it's a slip and fall, whether it's a car accident, whatever the accident is, if there's someone else that was at fault and you were injured, you can go to that online tool, injurycalculator.ca. We created that. As far as I know, there's nothing like it in Canada. And uh, it has an algorithm. It scours the databases of cases across Canada. And it will tell you, here's how much you could potentially be getting if you initiated a claim for compensation for pain and suffering. If you didn't have a, or if you had a question, but we didn't get to it or you didn't get your email, there's also a couple of resources as well that Savant's put together. You have mydisabilityquestions.com and myaccidentquestions.com. Again, these have a drop-down menu. Chances are your question's probably been asked. The answers are there. If not, you get to it right away, yeah? That's right, exactly. I mean, again, mydisabilityquestions.com, very popular. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I mean, what's the point of even picking the phone to, to a lawyer? I mean, that's why I, I get phone calls, but not as many as before, because people can just ask on that website and I answer, or they just email me, or they sure. go to the injurycalculator.ca website, you know? Lots more until next week. Until next week, I want to write down this phone number, 416-216-5910, to get hold of Savannah directly. And his email, we'll pick it up next week, where we left off, is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This has been the Insurance and Injury Law Show Talk Radio, AM 640.